You see, the problem of our divided heart is that the outward manifestations reveal the inward motivations. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. Uh, if you were with us this weekend or in Sunday school, you were blessed by the, the ministry of the Word by Brother, uh, of Brother Will Galkin, who... Uh, is a is a pastor out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Has been a part of um, multiple church plants and has a fruitful ministry out there. And the Lord is doing wonderful things. The Spirit of God is is doing great mission work among the Mormon community, and and He's building His kingdom there. Um, you heard this morning uh, what a relational and compassionate individual that He is, and He has been such a a discipler in my life, both publicly and privately, even right before the message, right before the service began. He just dropped a note of encouragement and discipleship to, to my wife and myself. And I've just always appreciated how compassionately and, and, and boldly he declares the truth. And he doesn't just do that up here, he does that individually. And I'm so thankful for, for him. You will hear someone who is a true disciple of Jesus and someone who is a true disciple maker who has a passion to take truth into every relationship. He is an accomplished individual, both academically and, and in his ministry and itinerant speaking, but, um, but that's not how he's defined. That's not how he wants to be defined. He's defined by a faithful servant of God who, who is passionate about discipling the people of God, and we're thankful for Brother Will. So Will, come teach us from the Word. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. What causes quarrels... And what causes fights among you? James 4, 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You have not because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship the world was enmity with God? He, he goes on and he says that God is jealous, yet he gives more grace. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10, humble yourself therefore, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. You know, we just had a little demonstration this morning that you can't go in two directions at the same time, right? That's really the point of our text. You, you can't go in two directions at the same time. I mean, as sporting, all sporting events are kind of like that. I mean, it's like um, what makes sport so fun to watch is when someone, someone is seemingly going two directions at once. Somebody with the basketball so, so jukes somebody else that they break their ankle. You know what I mean? Like he, he's going this way, but somehow he goes this way. And, or in hockey. I mean, that's what makes uh, uh, really watching hockey so, so unbelievable is how in the world on those skates. I mean, I, I, I can't even skate like that, let alone hit a puck while I'm skating like that. 
How do they just stop and turn and move? And soccer, they, they, they put it between the, the, the defender's legs and somehow run around the other side and, and still score the goal. Or, or the running back is able to almost stop on a dime and, and just move another way and shimmy and shake around the defender. And that's why we love it. We just love watching people do things that are seemingly impossible, yet, yet technically you can't do, you can't go in two directions at once. That's why there's automobile wrecks, right? Um, that's that's why there are those. Uh, that's why there's there's different collisions because you can't go in two directions at once. And spiritually, what we see in James chapter 4 is that you cannot go two directions at once. You, you can't love the Lord and love the world at the same time. Twice in James, he uses a phrase, double-minded. Um, earlier in, in the chapter, he says, in, in chapter 1 verse 8, he says, a double man unstable in all his ways. That, that, that's the problem. That's the fallen condition focus of this passage. You can't go in two directions at one time. I mean, in James 3, from the same mouth, how can you have blessings and cursings? Uh, James 2, verse 4, I mean, how, how can you become judge, uh, judge other people's evil thoughts and still have the same evil thoughts yourself? You, you can't do that. Um, in context, James 3, he says, who's wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You, you aren't as spiritual as you, you want people to think you are. I mean, we all like to give a persona that somehow we're more than we actually are. And if there's bitter jealousies and envies and all the things that are pouring out of us, then, then he says, you're not as spiritual as you're trying to communicate. You can't go, spiritually, spiritually, you can't go in two directions at the same time. So, so, so what I'd like to just propose to us, what I want us to walk away with this morning is this, that, that our relational issues often rebel, reveal a rebellious heart that's opposed to the will of God. I mean, our relational issues often reveal a rebellious heart that's opposed to the will of God. However, God's grace is enough to give us a wholeheartedness for him. You see, rather than trying to go in two directions, rather than being double-minded, we can actually have a whole heart for God. And, and this trickles down to every single one of us this morning. It, it doesn't matter if you have young children or adult children or no children or whether you're married or, or single. Every single one of us need to be exhorted to have a whole heart for God. Don't, don't you agree with that? Isn't that an obvious application? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Don't be double-minded, but have a wholehearted heart for God. And so we're going to look and work our way through James chapter 4. We're going to come up with three main thoughts. The first one is this, the problem of our divided heart. Then God's grace for our divided heart. And we're going to, final, uh, we're going to conclude with the prescription for our divided heart. So we have the problem, the grace, and the prescription. So let's look at that first point, the problem of our divided heart. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? One commentator, they said this, uh, we should just entitle this passage, or, or maybe, maybe we could just call it, why can't we just all get along? How many of you just wish you could all get along? 
with everyone at all times. They just communicate clearly. You, you just deal with differences in such a way that it's just winsome and graceful. I mean, how, how many of you can think of at least one person right now that it's just that the relationship is not quite right? Now, don't point. Just raise your hand. How many of you can think of at least one relationship where it's not quite right? Well, what causes the quarrels? What causes the fights among you? Those are the outward manifestations. You see, we, we're, we're like, where am I at? I mean, am I relationally right with other people? He says, well, well, just look. I mean, just look what's going on in you. Just, just, just look among you that the people in the church are fighting. There's contentiousness. There's unfaithfulness. There's, there's a worldliness or a pride that's just driving all these things. The double-mindedness, well, they were full of bitterness and bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, disorder, and every vile practice. That's what he said in James 3, 13 through 16. You know, the book of James was one of the first New Testament books written. It was written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that were forced out of Jerusalem because of some form of persecution. And, and you know, when there's a little bit of pressure in our life, what, what's in the heart comes out. You guys ever heard that, that like, it's an oft-quoted um, counseling illustration. You, you put the tea bag in hot water, and what's in the tea bag comes out. You ever notice that when we're hot water at work, we kind of spill out in the family? You ever notice this? When there's hot water of relationships that have gone awry, we just kind of a little more spicy or a little bit more pointed or a little bit more reactionary. There, there's a little bit more of the quarreling and the fighting or the other, the other words that he says in here, the, the wars and the murders and the covetousness. So ask the question in James 4.1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? What's your answer? Like, I want you right now to think of one person that you have imaginary conversations with. Does, does anyone else ever have a conversation with somebody while you're in the shower? You're, you're talking to somebody that's not in the shower with you? You're like, I'm going to tell them. If they say I'm going to tell them, whatever, no, uh we have this whole conversation with them. So, so what needs to fix it? What's your answer? What needs to fix that broken relationship? If they would just... What? Why do they have to say those things? Why are they doing that? Everyone knows it's their fault. They always, they never... And yet the surface manifestations are indication of what's inwardly going on. You see, the problem of our divided heart is, is that we, we start to understand our dividedness, the heart dividedness, by the outward manifestation of the wars and the fightings and the anger, but it really it, it reveals the inward motivation for our dividedness, which is our desires. You see, the problem of our divided heart is that the outward manifestations reveal the inward motivations. Is it not this? He, he, by the way, he asks a question to ask a question. Isn't that a good, good counseling? He says, so, so what causes quarrels? What causes fights? Well, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You see, what is the source of these desires? Well, it's the sinful human nature. It's, it's the flesh that dwells in us. It's our passions. He uses three different words to describe this. I mean, he, he says this, is it not your passions? Verse 2, you desire. And then in, in verse 2, in the second portion, <coughs> excuse me, you covet and cannot obtain. 
Those three words, the passions, the desires, the covetousness, the hedone, the epithuma, the zealousness, it's referring to the sinful human nature that is left in us. In Galatians 5, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit against the flesh. This is talking about a Christian in Galatians. There's a, a, a man who's, who's, uh, who's spiritual. Uh, there's a man who has the Holy Spirit in him, and yet the flesh is still warring against him. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and these are opposed one to the other so that you cannot do what you would want to do. Sometimes when we look at this and we look at the passions and the desires and the covetousness, we could, we could almost, almost begin to say that pleasure is bad, but that's not what he's communicating. What he's talking about is pleasures that are, that are desired outside of God's way or God's time. Like, are you tracking with me? So, so, so he says, why are there the wars and fighting? Well, it's because of the, the desire for some pleasure or treasure or position that's in your heart. It's a desire that's misplaced. It's, it's not wrong in and of itself, but it's a desire for something that's out of God's time or out of God's way. We got to remind ourselves, who made pleasure? Who made pleasure? I mean, aren't you glad God gave us taste buds? I mean, seriously, aren't you glad we don't say pass the bland? <laughs> oh, this is way too exciting. I'm going to put some bland on here. No, I mean, he made us with the ability for sweets and sours and bitters. And, and I mean, it's just like, it's so good. I mean, like, like cheese is so good, isn't it? How many like cheese? I like cheese. I mean, cheese is so good, but it's better melted. I mean, it's like so good. I mean, cheese is wonderful. I didn't have breakfast. I'm hungry. It's not food that's sinful, it's too much food, right? It's a good thing given to us by God. It's not sinful in and of itself or, or relaxation. I mean, six days work, one day rest. I mean, how many of you are thankful for power naps? I mean, anyone thankful for a good nap? No nap, no zap, right? But, but how many of you have ever slept when you should have been working? Or you slept to deal with your own depression? It's like, I just can't deal with life. I'm tired, even though I'm not sleepy, right? Uh, work. Work is a good gift of God, but how many folks have ever turned their work into the main thing or, or the idol or the thing that drives their life or relationships? It's good to have a friend. Some of us need friends. Some of us need friends to speak truth into our life. Some of us, we're a little bit odd because we don't have friends. But how many of us ever make our idols, I mean, make our friends our idol? family. I, I love my family, but, but we're living in a culture that sometimes, even in a Christian subculture, we can make family such an idol that we, we, we all of a sudden miss the, the main point of living for the glory of God and making disciples. I'm a pastor. I'm a church planner. I, I travel itinerantly. I can make ministry an idol. In fact, even a good thing can become a bad thing when it's the main thing. You see, a lot of times in preaching to crowds like this, we're like, we'd love it if I'd come in here and whip it up and say, those wicked people out there. But the minute we start talking about the wicked people in here, we're a little bothered. But even a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes the main thing. C.S. Lewis wrote the Screw Tape Letters, and I, I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's, it's, it's written from the, the perspective of like these, these demons and how they're tempting Christians to go astray and, and listen to this, this elder demon writing a letter to his, uh, his nephew, and he says this, never forget that when we're dealing with pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, 
we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. So this is a demon talking about pleasure to his, his, his underling. I know we've won, won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made pleasures. All of our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. You see, even a good thing is a bad thing when it becomes the main thing. And soon what happens is this good thing slowly begins to work its way into my heart where it becomes the main thing of my life. One man said, the heart of man is an idol factory. We have an an unbelievable capacity to create more and more idols. And you know, if you were to walk away with an application today, like like if you were to go into your lunchtime or your afternoon nap or your evening regimen and you were still lingering and thinking about one thing, I would want it to be this. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want? You know, every time my kids are fighting, that that question must finally be answered. Because until it is, we don't really know why we're fighting and warring and murdering and coveting. When there's an issue with my wife and I, you know, it has to be answered eventually. What do I really want? Why do I have to be right in this circumstance? Why must I be the one that's in, I mean, what, what's really going on? Why is it that we're fighting? Because I have some desire. I have some idol. How do those idols treat you? Do they satisfy you? What's the product of these idols? Well, in the text, he says, you desire, do not have. So you murder. You covet, cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you know idols produce inward frustration, anxiety, depression, anger, mood swings? It just doesn't satisfy. Uh, can, you, can you think of a Bible uh, uh, illustration of somebody who wanted something very much and in, in the end it didn't satisfy? Can you think of one? <coughs> With Bathsheba? But what do you think about one of his kids? Amnon. Does anyone remember what Amnon wanted or who Amnon wanted? Tamar, his half-sister, he sets up a circumstance. He eventually rapes her. And do you know what the text actually says? With the same love he had for her, now he what? He despised her, hated her. Can I I just tell you something? Idols do not satisfy, for idols cannot satisfy. Idols do not satisfy, because idols cannot cannot satisfy. We have some desire. We have some lost. We have some point of covetousness. If I just received, if I just obtained, if I just enjoyed, all of life would work. That's not true. How do we know? Because we've all gone on vacation. 
That's not true because we've all bought that item and had buyer's remorse. Idols do not satisfy, for idols cannot satisfy. Hence enters in relational conflicts. You see, we're looking at people to deliver what they cannot deliver. We're looking to people or some event to do something that it cannot do. And so now you want to know why there's wars and there's fightings all around us. Because I have some desire in my heart. And so rather than love and serve people, I use people to get to my desire. You see, rather than love and serve people, I destroy people to get to my desire. I turn people either into a puppet and I control them and manipulate them to get to my pleasure or treasure or whatever else I want that I think will satisfy me. Or if somebody stands in the way of my idol, you better look out because I'm coming. There's, a, there's kind of a, a grammatical um, a little device here. It says it in verse 1, you see the fights and quarrels. Um, they come from wrong desires in the second half of verse 1. Then it's frustrated desire, and it leads to quarrels and fights. Do you see that? So, so, so we see the quarrels and fights, like I'm fighting because I want something in my heart. It doesn't really satisfy, and so I start fighting with people. Right? I, I want something, but it, they don't deliver it. And so I, I mean, this is like, uh, have you ever seen like a, a young teenage couple and it's like puppy love, puppy love, and then somewhere they're, they're angry and, and there's manipulation and it, it. Well, the puppy love turned into some animal lust. And he's giving of the emotional so he can get to the physical. He has some lust, some desire for some physical, um, physical pleasure outside of God's time or way. And she gives of the physical so she can get to the emotional. And yet now they're at each other's throats. Because they're not loving one another, they're using one another. And in using one another, there's all sorts of fear and insecurity and jealousy. And so they, they just, they like have emotional blahs on each other. Um, she just wanted to be a blessing. And she just wants to be a blessing. She just really wants to be a blessing. She just, she's inviting them over. She wants to be a blessing. They're going to come over at 6.30. She just wants to be a blessing. And so she's starting to straighten up the house. And she's got food coming out of every little oven, microwave, freezer, everything. Man, she just wants to be a blessing. She can't wait for them to come over. It's going to be great. Oh, she's just cooking. She's got spiritual music on. She just wants to be a blessing. Can't wait to be a blessing. Oh, it's, she, she wants to be a blessing. But now it's like um, 6.45 and they're not there on time. And she's not sure if she wants to be a blessing anymore. And now it's 7.04, but who's checking? I mean, 34 minutes. And now she's talking with her husband. And she's like, I cannot believe them. Everyone has a cell phone. Now, Dave, they could call. They could at least text. Why aren't they here? And he's like, honey, I'm here on time. And I love you. And I'm on your team. Stop, please. <laughs> and they get there. And she's, just, she's got this smile. And she's scooping up the food, but the chicken cordon du, uh, chicken cordon what <laughs> blue is tough. And the teenage guest says something, and she's not ready to be a blessing now. And now she's in the kitchen and she's talking to herself. And when mom is talking to herself, that's a dangerous place to be. She said she wanted to be a blessing, but you know what she really wanted? She wanted to hear. I love how you decorate. 
What she really wanted is she wanted to hear, this is so good, what's your recipe? Nice doilies. Fill on the blank. She had a whole list of things that she really wanted to hear. And when she didn't hear them, you want to know what's going on? She's mad. Because somebody poked at her idols. And her idol didn't really work. And her idol isn't satisfying. And she didn't get it. So now she was using these people. She didn't even realize it. But her anger told her. You see, you want to know what your idol is? Just track back your anger. Just hit reverse on the DVR of your life and you'll get to know what your idol is. Mr. Charter, I mean, he's been in the church since Moses. I mean, he's been in there a long time since we started. Mr. Charter, he's just, you know, he is the statesman of the church. I mean, he is just, I mean, whenever there's somebody new that comes into the church, he just, uh, he throws on the keys to the cabin and throws on the keys to the truck and the boat. You guys, you take your family up there. I mean, he looks so nice. I mean, he just looks so nice. The little freshman senator that uh, came into the church with his young family just got really, Mr. Charter just showed so much love to him. And I mean, they'd take him out to eat about every once a month. And, and, but what, what this freshman senator didn't realize is that Mr. Charter was actually building a voting block. Because you know what his idol was? He kind of likes to be the one that, you know, everyone's talking during the, 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 the church family business meeting, and everyone's like, oh, I think we should do this, and we should do this, and we should do this. And, and, and you know what Mr. Charter likes? He just loves to get some Baptist applause. You know what Baptist applause is? Like, we don't clap in church. What we do is we go, hmm. And he just wants some Baptist applause, like, amen, like, and so he likes to stand up at the most critical juncture in that business meeting. And he just likes to go like, what I think we should do is. And everyone in the congregation just goes, mm, that's wise. Well, he makes one of his statements. And this little freshman senator who just came into the assembly, and he just it seems obvious. I mean, he was in another church, and they did something different. And this was just the most, it just seemed like the wisest thing. And, and, and um, Mr., Mr., Mr. Charter says his little drop-the-mic moment. And, and this unbeknowing, this, this, he thought that Mr. Charter loved him, but he just raised his hand. He says, but Mr. Charter, it doesn't make sense to do that. Wouldn't it be better if we do this? And the whole church goes, Oh, yes. And Mr. Charter's mad. No more boat. No more cabin. Because what Mr. Charter wanted didn't satisfy. So what's your idol? What's your idol? What do you really want? Is it you want to be respected by everyone around you? Is that what you want? You want to be perceived as the, the wise one? Do, do, you, uh, do you have some secret pleasure that you want to get to? So, so you're trying to manipulate the, the family schedule so you can set up the time, so you can get your little, your little secret pleasure, and you're frustrated because people are getting in the way of you getting there. Are you wanting some emotional closeness to somebody and so your spouse is like, hey, I'm not really comfortable with you spending that much time with that person and all of a sudden you're mad. You're mad because your spouse that you're in a covenant relationship with asked you not to spend time with somebody and you're mad because they asked that? I'm telling you, when you get mad, you ought to figure out what do you really want. 
You're mad because a parent won't let you go experience something or go spend time with that friend or do something over there. And so what happens? We fight, we murmur, we quarrel, we kill. You see, the problem of our divided heart is because of these, these it, the problem of, of this is because the outward manifestations reveal the inward motivations and the, the, the source of this is our flesh, but the product is frustration and heavenly silence. He, he says, you, you have... Not because you do not ask. It just makes no sense. We, we don't pray. We don't say, God, would you please, uh, would you please you know, deliver an idol to me? Would you FedEx me a bail? It just doesn't make sense. We, we don't pray because we don't want to yield to the desires of God. We, we, we say things like, I'll get it myself. I'm not going to be dependent on God. Or, or it's selfish praying. I mean, it's like you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Oh, Lord, you know what? I just wish you would heal them because there's a real pain in the neck to visit them in the hospital. Oh, Lord, would you just give me $14,000 so I never have to depend on you again? Lord, would you just remove them because they're, they're, they're just so popular with the rest of the church. Would you just remove them? And soon our, our prayers, they're, they're non-existent or our prayers are so self-focused because an idolatrous person is ultimately in love with himself. An idolatrous person is, is ultimately seeking satisfaction outside of God, and that's the problem. The problem of a divided heart is you can't go two directions at the same time. And, and what do we see here is, is really God's grace for our divided heart. So, so the first issue was the problem of our divided heart, but God's grace for our divided heart is, is seen in that God is not passive for our sanctification. He's actually the initiator. Our ability to love God is that he first loved us. God's grace is evident in this passage. You see, God is hostile to our divided heart. He's jealous for a whole heart. He's gracious to work in us a whole heart. We see he's hostile in verse 4. He just flat out says it, you adulterous people. Okay, if we're here this morning and in walked a spouse of somebody in this room, maybe somebody on the platform, and they walked in here, and they just, in the middle of the service, they just yelled. Like, let's just put it on me so I don't, don't cause any confusion here in, in the illustration. If somebody walked in here and just shouted at me, I mean, in the middle of my sermon, you adulterer. And they just started spouting off maybe some facts or something. Do you know the service is now over? James, the ever exhorter, he walks into the lives of these people and they're just, he's kind of, he's like asking pointed questions. So why is there wars? Why are there problems? Well, isn't it because of the desires of your heart? Isn't it, and, and don't we see the manifestations of this? You pray and you don't get and because you're going to do it, uh, you're going to pray to get selfish things and then, and then he just cuts the chase. I mean, he goes from questions to exclamation points. He's like, you adulterous people. Now, you need to understand something. He, this may include actual immorality, but he's not really talking about physical sexual immorality. He's really talking about a spiritual adultery. 
He's like, don't you get it? You can't love God and the world at the same time because the Old Testament imagery is that the people of God, when they worshiped idols, they were called adulteresses. When they worshiped idols, they were, they were, they were point, they were, they were point, it was pointed out that they'd broken their covenant relationship with the God, with God. Listen, Isaiah, for our maker, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of the hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth is called, for the Lord hath called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she's cast off, says your God. Hosea, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I'll go after my lovers. I'll give my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink to another. You see, what's happening is James is digging into people's heart. And he's saying, so when you go after an idol, you are a spiritual adulterer. In fact, um, what we see in the New Testament is prior to salvation that, that a person is separate from God, that they're enemies with God, but after salvation, a Christian is one with Christ and friends with God. But the current reality is that some of us are more comfortable with the world than we are with God. We'd rather find pleasure in something rather than God. That's why John says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and you know what? The, the love, the, the world is more than just two or three obvious manifestations of what the wicked people out there do. Like, we love to point out other people's worldliness. No, sir, you are more wicked, you are more worldly than you'd want to admit. Like, stop thinking about everyone else's worldliness in here and just get honest about your own lust of the flesh, your own pride of life, your own lust of the eyes, your desire for some possession, your desire for some sense of prominence and being the elder statesman, your lust for some pleasure outside of God's way or God's time. We are all much more worldly than we'd like to admit. And James says, you cannot be, you cannot love God and the world at the same time. He says, you cannot be a friend of God and the world at the same time. He, he asks, he goes back into his questions. Do you not know, verse 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He's like, don't you know, like you're a friend with the world and you're actually God's enemy. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. By the way, the world is just the, the, the collective flesh. It's like our, our own individual lusts combined with everyone else's that produce a collective, a collective system of life where we are at the center and the lust, the flesh, the lust, the eyes, and the pride of life are the primary ways of doing business. And he uses these two, two, two pictures. James is like, you adulterer and you enemy. You, 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 you've broken the relationship with marriage and you've broken the covenant of friendship. And this conflicted soul that's looking for satisfaction in every place but God then expresses itself in, in what we see from verse 13 of chapter 3 all the way into James chapter 4. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, every vile work we desire, can't have, we murder, we can obtain, we fight, we don't have, we ask, we do not receive. So what's God's response? Oh, he's jealous. He's jealous for you. Look at verse 4 and 5. Do you not know? Or you, do you suppose it's no purpose that the Scripture says, 
He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. This passage has a, a number of textual considerations because nowhere in the Old Testament, remember this is one of the first books written in the New Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament does it actually say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. But this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's more of a, an overall general truth concerning the jealousy of God. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Do, do you know that it is totally proper for God to be jealous. Like when we hear jealousy, jealousy in the New Testament, often it's part of the vice list that says we're not to be jealous. But do you know why God can be jealous? Because God cannot break the first commandment. He is God. And even to love himself, to, to really to, to showcase his own glory, it is totally appropriate because God is the source of all. He says, for my own sake, for my own sake, Isaiah 48, I do it for, for how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give it to another. God will not give his glory to another. God is in charge. God is over all things. He, he cannot break the first commandment of having no other gods before me. He's made everything so each part of creation reflects something of his character. And that's why he says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Well, you finish the phrase. For I, the Lord thy God, am a what? God is jealous for you, when you go commit spiritual adultery and you go after some idol that results in all sorts of vile communication to others, can I tell you what? God is jealous for you. We deserve God walking out of the door of our life. I mean, how idolatrous are, are, are we? How many times have I bowed down to some idol? How about you? Let's just pretend it's once a day. Ten years, that's 3,000 times. I mean, I mean, what if we had a spouse, once a day they cheated on us? The door would slam, and we'd say, never come back again. And yet God is jealous. He's jealous for you. Spurgeon, in a sermon, referred to the pursuing nature of God as that he was the hound of heaven. Um, I had a friend, older pastor, East Tennessee. He'd uh, preach all day, Sunday, and then that night, he would go get his, his dogs, his hound dogs, and he'd let them run. And those dogs would run, and they'd get on a they get on the trail of a coon. And these dogs, I mean, they were doing like Redfern Grows kind of stuff. Where the Redfern, anybody ever read the, Where the Redfern Grows? Just a couple of you. That's a dumb book. <laughs> Makes you cry. Big Dan Little Ant. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You need to read that book. That's a bad book. Oh, that'll mess you up. <laughs> Big Dan Little Ant. They're on the trail, that coon. I mean, that coon, I mean, 
jumps in a river and somehow they, they split up on either side of that river and they go up and down until they get back on the scent and then one of them just bays and they just go after it and then that, that coon will climb up a tree and somehow jump over to another tree and they'll get kind of get lost, they'll be looking around and then they'll start sniffing around other trees and then they, they got on that coon again until finally they tree it. I got a question for you. How many of you are thankful? How many of you who are, the chill, who are, who are a child of God How many of you are thankful that God is jealous for you? That he doesn't let you go. He gets on your trail and he pursues you. You drift, you go away, you go astray, you get going on an idol that doesn't satisfy and you're so frustrated in your heart and God is jealous for you. But not only do we see that God is jealous for you, but God is gracious towards you. In verse 6, he says he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives gives grace to the humble. That's straight out of Proverbs chapter 3. God's grace is greater than our sin. You see, he gives more grace. Our our spiritual uh, adultery deserves rejection, and yet God gives us more grace. And and grace is giving us exactly opposite of what we deserve, but but more. It's not just quantity, it's greater. I mean, it's not like, uh, in one sense, sense. It's like there's, there's more grace than our sin, but it's actually, it's, it's more of a, it has a, a deeper effect than sin does. God's grace is actually so powerful, it, it's like it overcomes the law of sin. It's like, it's like the law of gravity. You've got a 777 in it, and it's taking off. I mean, it's just an unbelievable thought process. This million pound piece of something flying why is it? Why is it that the pilot can stick those throttles all the way up and, and they can, the, the, the wings lift up that plane? Why is that? I mean, it, it's because there's a greater law than gravity. Gravity should take that million pound aluminum hunk of, 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 of material and turn it into a pile of junk. And yet there's a higher law, the law, well, there, there's actually, I'm not going to go into details, there's three different laws, but it's, if I was just to say aerodynamics, just to make it really simple, that there's a greater law than gravity. And you know, God's grace is greater than your sin, and how many of you are thankful for that? And it's not just that, it, that it's like more. It's not like I, I got a cup of sin and he gives me two cups of grace. It's that the grace is actually of a greater power. It actually works deeper in Romans 5, but where sin increased, God's grace abounded all the more. God's superabundant strength to live a life that overcomes the world and the flesh. It's so unbelievable. His grace is always enough to do his commands. His grace is more than enough. But James... James is the exhorter. He, you know, if this was written by Paul, this is what Paul would have done. Paul would have said, your sin is big, but God's grace is bigger. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's Paul, but not James. You know what James does? He says, you're an adulterer. You are a spiritual adulterer. And let me just know you something. God desires you and he's got grace for you. But you know what? He gives grace to the humble. So where Paul would have launched us into this whole Christological like, like, waha! James is like, you better get humble right now. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he gives us a prescription for a divided heart. He says, so he started with the problem. He, he told us the solution, but you actually have to take it. Like, how many of you have ever gone to the doctor because you were sick of being sick? And they said, it looks like you're on the mend. Wow, this looks miserable, but it looks like everything's going to be okay. I'm going to give you a prescription. How many of you have ever not filled a prescription? Raise your hand. And God's given us what we need, His grace. He slides over the prescription. What, how are we to participate in what God wants to do? He gives more grace, but He says, therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. And in verse 7 through 10, he, he just kind of opens up this little book, this little prescription, and he says, well, this is how it is. He, he goes, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Like, like, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Well, how do I be humble? Submit yourself to God. Where, where, there is no humility where there's no submission. I mean, that's why you need church. That's why you need brothers and sisters speaking into your life because you need people just kind of helping. There's, there's, just a, there's, a, there's a mutual give and take. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submission is having the same spirit towards God as you did at salvation. It's like, it's like I can't save myself. I submit myself to the, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Submission understands that everything, from God, everything is from God's good hand. All my trials, all my hardships. Um... My not having possessions, every, every good thing I do have, everything comes from God. It's just it, a submission. It's just saying, God, you're a loving God. You will give me whatever you give me is okay. I, I will give you back whatever you want. Lord, I just submit. I submit to what you gave me with my spouse. I submit to what you gave me with my children. I submit to you about my, my work. I just, I just submit to you. I just, that, that is the declaration of humility. I remember studying through this a number of years ago, and I, I just, it was a light bulb moment. I just, I just thought, you know, there, there are times that I have idols that are, um, well, there's times when I have idols that, is, that I want a good thing outside of God's way or God's time. But there are some things that maybe are my idols that it is never God's will that I have. You see, when I have a desire... And God has a desire. And they're different. There'll be conflict. Can, can I tell you something? This is what the light bulb moment was. I was thinking about one of my idols and how it was different than what God wanted for me. And it was like the Spirit of the Lord was like, Will, do you know that God will never submit to you? Never. He can't. He won't. You know what? Some of you are mad about something that will never change. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Some of you are mad about something that's not God's will. Like some of you have an idol that God never wants you to have. Submit yourself to God. 
but declare which side you're on. He, he goes on verse 8. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Or verse 7. Now verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil. Don't, how many of you wish there was like one prayer we could pray and we'd never be tempted again? Me too. Pass the Kool-Aid. It's not. It's like, it just seems every best of intention. I just, the Lord was stirring up my heart on a couple things this weekend. I was just thinking about a couple things in my own life. And I just thought, yeah, I want to do this, this, and this. And I'm going to really do this for the next few days and next weeks or so. And I kind of have a little thought process about what I want to do. And I, and I just kind of chuckled, like, because it's not my first rodeo anymore. I just chuckled. I'm like, oh boy, the minute I vocalize that, I'm going to be tempted not to do that. You see, Satan loves to counter whatever the Spirit of God doing. Well, and so does the flesh, right? So, so the flesh desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. I mean, every time I have a Godward inclination, the flesh comes up with some reason or some excuse not to do it. I mean, it's this that fast. And he goes, no, you sure, you submit to God, but now you resist the devil. And yes, the temptations of the devil, they come in and they're like huge tsunami waves, but eventually they subside. I just found in this Christian life that temptations come and temptations go. There's seasons that are more intense and there's seasons that are less intense. Anyone else verify that experientially? But we know that in Scripture because we're to be sober-minded, being watchful, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He can't devour all of us, all of us at the same time. He's not infinite. He's not omnipresent. He's, he's finite. His demons are, are not everywhere. Oh, there's a lot. They're, they're tempting. We're being tempted all the time if you were to look, if we just had eyes to see around us, right? But the, we, we have plenty of desires in us. Our flesh is raging, and yet there are seasons. There are seasons that are more intense than others, and that's why he says resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We could go and look at the story of Jesus and his temptations to verify that. But then he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do whatever it takes. Like get up earlier, stay up later, set an hour with the God, with, to be alone with God. Turn off the radio. Don't listen to it on the drive home. Listen to some sermon. I mean, do whatever it takes to draw near to God. I mean, people in the New Testament, that's what they did, right? They climbed up trees. They ripped open the roof of, the, the, uh, of a house. I mean, they, they cried out uh, as blind men out to Jesus, even though people were, were telling them to, to be quiet. I mean, people in the New Testament, they demonstrated what it took to find Jesus. I mean, t- you turn towards Jesus, he faces you. You walk, he runs. You run, he flies. Tell me, those of you that have been saved decades, tell me, have you ever sought the face of the Lord and he turned his face away? Not ultimately. Oh, there's times we feel like heaven is silent. I know what that's like. But over the course of your life, When you draw near to God, he what? And then deal with your sin completely. You see, you adulterous, you you spiritual adulterous people, he says, you want this grace that's offered so freely? Oh, he pursued you. He he illuminated his grace, but he says, submit, submit, submit. 
and then, and then declare which side you're really on and deal with your sin completely. He's got these phrases. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The, these are like, um, it's like, like, take care of the actual sin in your life. Like, like, cleanse your hands, just like crush the tunnels. Like, how many of you have ever confessed some sin, but you left some secret, uh, secret way back to that sin? Some Puritan, he said, crush the tunnel. Like, just crush the tunnel. Like, do whatever it takes. I had this, um, this, I was working at a camp, and I was responsible for the discipleship of the staff, and this, uh, one of the staffers came up, and they said, hey, Will, um, I've just been struggling with pornography. Can you keep me accountable? And I said, no. I'm in charge of this. He's like, huh? I said, yeah, I'm not going to keep you accountable. What? That's kind of, you, you, you talk about that. You preach about that. He said, yeah, but I'll keep other people accountable, not you. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how many other people have you asked to keep you accountable? Oh, like five or six. I said, so it's not really working. I said, why don't you throw away your phone? Like throw it away. Oh, I can't do that. How come? It's $700, man. I said, exactly. Throw it away. Because I think Jesus would probably say, it's better for you to go to heaven without a phone than to go to hell with a phone. Throw it away. You know, we love playing with our sin. Crush the tunnel. Like, do whatever you have to do. And then determine to have true repentance. He says, be wretched, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Like, be wretched. Like, like, like truly, he, he says, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's writing to Christians. He's like, have true repentance. You know, I think so many of us, we just so rush to the conclusion that we don't, we don't think about Jesus dying for our sin. We don't, we don't, let, we don't let the circumstance wound us. Like, like God's goodness is to lead us to repentance, he says in Romans. But it's based on the fact that you read all of Romans and you see that God's righteous wrath was coming on you and yet Jesus Christ who fulfilled all righteousness took our place. I can remember a circumstance that... Um, happened and I just was really glib about it. How many of you have ever asked for forgiveness in like a really cheap manner that God brought it back to you like a few days or weeks or months later and it was like and you really repented? Anyone ever had that? And I was just I was just glib about the circumstance and my buddy I was on the phone with him and uh, this is this is like 20 years ago and we're talking and he, and he brought up this area and I said yeah so and so so and so and this and this and this and and he, and he just he said Will are, are you serious? Have you have you not shared that with, with who you need to share that with? And I finished, I was like, oh my. And it, this was back in the day of landlines. <laughs> and I remember hanging up the phone and I just wept before the Lord. I just went, I left my office, I went out in the, the woods and I just, I'd like, Lord, I, I, just, I just treated that like that was like, an oops 
not a sin that was connected to your son, my Savior, dying on the cross. So, what do you want? What's your idol that causes all sorts of brutal words, unkind speech coming out of your lips? Aren't you thankful for verse 10? It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, right? Humble yourself before God. This boy, he, um, he left his mom and dad at 18. They're not going to tell me what to do. No way, no, no, no way. He left, not a word, not a happy birthday, not a Merry Christmas, not a happy anniversary, nothing. Six years, mom and dad every day praying, every day praying for this wayward child. Just praying, just praying. Lord, would you please, Lord, please, oh God. One day there's a knock at the door and dad opens it up and there's his boy. Six years older in age, 20 years old in aging. This boy just looks like he just went through it. And this boy just like falls on his dad's chest. And he's just like, I'm so sorry. I, I am so, so sorry. I'm so Sorry, sobs, weeping, dad crying. Dad turns to go get mom, and somehow the boy just collapses right there in the doorway. Dad gets mom, and there's mom and dad looking at their broken, humble child. What do they do? What do they do? Humble yourself before God and He will lift you up. So stop trying to be, clean up your idol. Like Don't shine it up. Just bring it to the Lord and say, God, crush it. How many of you can think of some idol in your own heart that you need to take to the Lord? Would you lift your hand? Who's got your own idols? Can we just take a couple moments right here? Let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's just say, God, Thank you for your grace that's big enough. Thank you for your love for me that's deep. Lord, thank you for the way you forgive. With their heads bowed, eyes closed, just take a moment. Would you just, would you just talk to the Lord about your idol? Just right here in the quietness. I'm sure some musicians are going to come, but you just you talk to the Lord right there in your seat.